what a blessing it's been to be here over this weekend. Uh, yesterday, I'm still just uh, soaking in all that God did. What a blessing to be a part of an event like that. And I was telling your pastor, uh, it, it's just very unique to get that many people together, many perhaps that are lost, in one place. You know, back in the early church, I, I guess they could go down to the marketplace and they could preach out in the open air and people were outside and it wasn't that difficult to get a crowd of unsaved people. But nowadays, at least in America in 2022, it takes a lot of work and financial investment and just sweat and toil and prayer to get that many people together from the community and it's worth the investment. And praise God for uh, this church. There's not many churches that are doing outreaches like this. And so what a blessing uh, just to be a part of that. Certainly we're praying for those who were there and those who heard the gospel and all the follow-up that has to go on from this point on, uh, but praise the Lord for his work. Uh, Just a question to get started here tonight. Do you like real or fake? Kind of an easy question. (laughs) Do you like real? Do you like genuine Or do you like imitation? We live in the day of fake news. Everybody wants real news. And of course, everybody claims to be giving real news. But uh, it's hard to find what's real in a world of so much that's fake or false. I don't know how this happened, but over time, even since I was a kid, I, I, I discovered that there was a difference between real, genuine leather and the fake plastic stuff. Okay, now no offense, if you've got a nice pair of fake plastic leather shoes, that's awesome. I've had many of those over the years, and they look just fine, they do just great, but they don't tend to last as long as genuine leather shoes. You know, when you walk, you kind of bend and you make creases, and you know what, if it's not genuine leather, eventually those creases are going to pop, and guess what you're going to see? You're going to see thread, <laughs> you know, because underneath that veneer of plastic, plastic imitation leather, you've got some sort of fiber woven content. Or how about the genuine leather belt that you thought you got? Has that ever happened to you? You thought for sure it was genuine leather, and maybe the outside was, but it was basically genuine leather stuffed over something fake. And over time, using that belt, it pops open, and you say, whoa, this is not genuine after all. What a disappointment. You know, can you spot the difference between genuine leather and fake leather? Uh, Normally, they do us the favor of stamping on the back genuine 100% rawhide or something like that. But could you tell the difference? Well, it's not a real big deal if you can or can't. But here's another question. Can you tell the difference between spiritual and unspiritual? Could you tell the difference? Uh, Our main text tonight won't be Acts chapter 6, but you can turn there for just a moment. Acts chapter 6. The church was very young. As you know, it began on the day of Pentecost. And thousands upon thousands had been saved by the time we get to Acts chapter 6. It's hard to estimate exactly how many were gathered together in Jerusalem, but it had turned into quite an ordeal. I mean, those, those 12, 12 apostles were overseeing 
the ministry and the caretaking of what had become sort of a commune. Now, we don't believe in communism, amen? We don't believe in anything like that. Uh, and what we find in the book of Acts was not socialism. It was not communism. It was basically people who had trusted in Christ and then found themselves rejected by society. And they had lost homes and lands and perhaps, in many cases, couldn't even go back to where they were. And they just stayed in Jerusalem and they worshipped and they grew and they had all things in common, the Bible says. And so there was, part of their worship was the daily distribution of basic needs. We don't live that way. We pass the plate, you know, but we don't bring uh, chickens and, and, uh, and livestock. And we don't, we don't do that here. But I suppose we would if we were in a, in a refugee situation. By the way, that's happening in Europe. And we know of missionaries who their Bible college is now turned into a refugee camp. And they're trying to take care of people. All right, so picture that environment. And somehow with the daily handing out of daily food, there was an oversight. And we find in chapter 6 that the Grecians, the Grecian widows were being neglected. And of course, that produces some discontent. Hey, where's our stuff? (laughs) Uh, How come we don't rank? And the Grecians very likely were uh, Greeks who had converted to Judaism and now were Christians. And so... Maybe there was some oversight. Maybe there was some, some prejudice built into that. But we don't know for sure. Well, the apostles, of course, heard about it and had to take action. That's what leaders do. They step in and they take action. And so look what it says in verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Simple requirements. If you were told to pick out seven men in this church that are full of the Holy Ghost, could you do it? What would that mean? And who's qualified to judge after all? I mean, who who makes me the one who can judge who is or who isn't spiritual? And yet it seems as though the Bible expects us to be able to ascertain whether or not a Christian is spiritual. Now, that tells us that it's possible to be Christian and not spiritual. Now, by definition, when you're born again, you're born of the Spirit. And so you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have that new nature from God. And so you're spiritual in that sense. But there's another aspect of being spiritual, which means you're actually under the control of the Holy Spirit to the point that someone could say, yes, that's a spiritual man. That's a spiritual lady. How about this? That's a spiritual child. we got a lot of kids in here tonight, all ages. Kids can be spiritual Christians. They can be spirit-filled Christians. Uh, If you go quickly to the book of uh, Galatians, chapter 5, we have some instructions. I'm sorry, chapter 6. Galatians, chapter 6. We're going to look at chapter 5 in a minute. We have some instructions about how to reach out to wandering, wayward brethren, those who are fallen into sin and struggling. And we have Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So once again, it's expected that the church would be able to ascertain Those who were spiritual, who should take it upon themselves to reach out and help these who had fallen into sin. So here's the question once again. Do you have the ability to tell 
between flesh and spirit. One of the reasons I'm burdened to go into evangelism, obviously God has worked in my heart for many years about that and was just waiting for the right time, but you know, why now? What's the burden on my heart at this moment? And one of the burdens of my heart, obviously we need to be preaching the gospel. Uh, Christ is coming back. You believe that? I mean, the time is short, and we've got to be preaching the gospel. I have a passion to preach the gospel. What a, what a thrill to preach it last night uh, to a crowd of people. Uh, that's just a, a wonderful privilege and blessing. But secondly, as far as the saints are concerned, I just feel as though in many churches there's a general inability to tell the difference between flesh and spirit. Churches seek out men to be a deacon. I don't know who your deacons are here, so I'm not picking on anybody, but they, 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 they elect a deacon because, well, he's always here. He dresses right, looks the part, seems to know his Bible. He has his family all in a row. As far as we know, he hasn't done anything illegal. <laughs> he has a pretty good testimony. He, he's been around longer than I have, and so that's our deacon. Now, that might be a godly deacon, but is that how we figured that out? Is that, is that what it is? Is it possible to be in the, in the pew every single Sunday, have your family all in a row, and yet not be spiritual? It definitely is. And there might be a reason why sometimes the father and the mother of that godly upstanding family is shocked when the young man or young lady that they thought was on the right path gets up and bolts the moment they have a chance. And they were in the right church, and they were with the right family, with the right parents that were taught the right things, and they had the right standards. And I'm all for holiness and separation from this wicked world. And I think we ought to take a strong stand against sin. But it's possible to do all those things. And the church might say, hey, there's our spiritual guy. There's, let's put him in charge of something. Let's put him in charge of a class. Let's, let's. But there's no concept of flesh and spirit. And so there are churches where there are people who are doing stuff and they're not godly. They might be sincere, they're, they're sincere, but they're not Christ-like. Maybe they're honest and dependable, but it's a fleshly kind of thing that you would see in the workplace. Are there not people who are unsaved, don't love God, but they work hard, show up on time and do their, do their business and have a general amount of trust in, in, among their co-workers. Is that not true? And for some, for some, some churches in some places, uh, that's how you get forward in the church, is just be on time, do your thing, bring your, bring your family, conform to the standard, whatever it is, and do your best and put in your time, and that must be a spiritual man. That must be a spiritual woman. Oh, and by the way, put the smile on when you're expected to. Say amen at the right time. You know, we kind of get this picture of what it means, but the Bible describes what the Holy Spirit-filled life looks like. We already saw a glimpse of it right here in verse 6. Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of, what's the word? Meekness. That's a cousin to gentleness and lowliness of mind. Matthew chapter uh, 11, Jesus says this. Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek 
and lowly of heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You come to him for salvation, and what does he do? He says, yoke up with me, and I'm going to teach you my lowliness and my meekness. Interesting. That here we have in Galatians chapter 6, those who are spiritual are told to restore the fallen brother in a spirit of meekness. So right there we know that whatever spiritual looks like, I guarantee you it looks like Jesus. Would that make sense? The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ. And the Bible says that if you yoke up with Christ as a Christian and you walk with him, you're going to learn his lowliness and you're going to learn his meekness. And so right off the bat, I know that something about the spirit-filled life and a spiritual person is this attitude of meekness and brokenness and humility, which is probably the most Christ-like thing a Christian can have. Isn't that what made Jesus stand out when he was being abused and buffeted and mocked as he literally turned the other cheek as he prayed for those who pounded the spikes into his hands and feet wasn't that humility isn't that why we worship him isn't that why it turns our heart to praise him and to love him because he was just such an, such a display of of brokenness and meekness and wouldn't that be a quality of the spirit-filled life sure it would and sadly in some places, I'm not saying here, I, I, it's very common among Christians where the one who is seen as a spiritual man is full of himself. He just reeks of spiritual pride. And he stands for the right thing. And he has the highest standards and he, he expects a lot from the people who know him. And boy, he stands for the word of God. Hey, I'm all for standing for the word of God. We ought to stand for the word of God. But it's possible to stand on truth and not be Christ-like. And the man who is spiritual knows it. Boy, does he know it. He thinks. And the pride is something he can't smell, but those with discernment can probably smell it. It's kind, of, it's kind of like bad breath or, or bad body odor. You probably can't smell your own. It's embarrassing, isn't it? Somebody else has to kind of, <clears throat> hey, um, I've got a breath mint. <clears throat> we can't smell our own bad breath and, and we can't smell our own pride. And so right off the bat, we all need to walk in humility because none of us are where we ought to be. None of us have arrived. But God does want us to develop discernment so we can recognize what the goal really is and so that we can actually strive by God's grace to allow the Holy Spirit to take control. Wouldn't it be great when you're dead and gone for your kids and your grandkids to say genuinely, my dad was a spiritual man. My mom walked with God. She was Christ-like. Can you think of any, any higher testimony? I can't think of anything higher than for those who know me best to say that about me someday because that would be the true evidence of, of a man who walks with God. Look at Galatians chapter 5. We have the fruit of the Spirit. Now sometimes this is preached in a way that isn't as helpful as it should be. Galatians chapter 5 verses 22 uh, to 23 is the fruit of the Spirit. It is not a how-to list of how to be filled with the Spirit. And that's where some 
folks go wrong. And they go to the fruit of the Spirit, and they say, okay, if you want to be, filled, if you want to be Spirit-filled, here's how you do it. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is love. So be loving. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Rejoice. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Stay calm. <laughs> okay. Um, this is not a how-to list of how to be filled with the Spirit. This is a description. And honestly, when I read this, I come under conviction because this describes what spiritual looks like because these are not the fruits of my effort, my self-will. These are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John chapter 15 that he said, I am the vine and ye are the what? The branches. And just like, just like the, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, neither can ye except ye abide in the vine. And so a branch doesn't sit there thinking, okay, this is the year I'm really going to bear some fruit. No, that's not how it works. He just stays connected, remaining, abiding in the vine, and the, the life-giving substance flows out into him, and the fruit is born in its season. Right? There's no striving there. It's the fruit of the vine. In the same way, the fruit of the Spirit are the evidences of the fact that the Holy Spirit's actually in charge in your life. And I believe these fruits are, are going to be manifested when they're needed by the grace of God. We always need all of them, but sometimes we really need some of them, okay? You ever really need patience? Come on now. I think we all need more patience, and if you're, if you're yielded to the Holy Spirit, if you're spiritual, he's going to give you patience when you need it. He's going to give you love when you really would rather not be loving. He's going to help you have joy when it doesn't make sense to have joy. He's going to help you have that temperance, that balance, that godly uh, restraint when you would normally give in and go hog wild. And God will pull the reins and restrain you with his gentle, godly temperance. And the faith and the meekness. Here's that word. Meekness. The ability to give up your personal rights and humble yourself and let someone else go first. Let somebody else advance. So while you step back and let them take the, take the lead. That's meekness. And the Holy Spirit produces that. This is not a checklist to, to do it. This is the proof of it. And once again, if we really studied that, we could look ourselves in the mirror and say, okay, am I spiritual? If I am, how often? How much? How recently? How recently did I show love? How recently, how often do I show patience? How recently, how often do I rejoice when it's hard to rejoice? This is the checklist of what it looks like. But I have good news tonight because we're going to dig into how. Because there's nothing worse than getting a, a list of what to do and not know how to do it. And the Bible tells us that we can be filled with the Spirit. And I'm going to give you some clear, simple steps that we can take home and use tonight by the grace of God to allow the Holy Spirit to truly be in control. So turn to Ephesians chapter 5. That was all the introduction, but here we go. It's no good to have a how-to message until you realize you need it. And so that's what that was about. We've got to know that we actually need it. It's not good enough to just grind our teeth and get through the Christian life. We need to be yielded to the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's a command. Ephesians chapter 5, we have a command to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess... But be filled 
with the Spirit. There you have it. We have a command to be filled with the Spirit. And what we're going to find is following that command, we have statements that not only describe Spirit filling, but they're things you can do. And when you do them, you're yielding to the Holy Spirit. But let's look at that command for a minute, verse 18. It's, it's, it's in the context of the, a negative command and then a positive command. Don't be filled with wine. Be not drunk with wine, but rather be filled. And why did the, the Apostle Paul put it that way? Well, first of all, don't be drunk with wine. Amen? I mean, the, why? Wherein is excess. And so we don't want to be drunk with wine. There's a big problem with that. And it's, it's a shame how many Christians nowadays are finding ways to say, well, it's okay for Christians to drink. And I'm, I'm against it. I'm, I'm against it, as they say down south. I'm against it. I believe the Bible's against it. I believe that if you tamper with that, you're, you're tampering with your heart, with your soul, your mind. And uh, how can you be filled with the Spirit if you're under the control of alcohol? But this is not just picking on alcohol because there could be other life-controlling substances as well. The point is, how can I be filled with the Spirit if I'm under the control of some other power? You can't. Didn't Jesus say you have to serve one master? You can't serve two masters? You've got to make up your mind. You can't serve God and mammon. In that case, he's talking about the controlling power of greed and wealth. You can't serve God and mammon. You have to pick. In the same way, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you have to choose. Do I want to be under His control or not? And that's why don't be filled with, with wine. But I also think there's an interesting parallel here because just as someone can be under the influence of alcohol and it leads to negative behavior, in the opposite way, when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, He leads to godly behavior. Just like someone who's under the influence of alcohol, maybe naturally they're quiet and shy and don't say much, but then they, they start to drink and they become the life of the party and then they say stuff they shouldn't say and do stuff they shouldn't do. And later on they regret it, if they can remember it. In the same way, when you're under the Holy Spirit's power, he's going to give you boldness. We saw that in the book of Acts. When they were filled with the Spirit, they got up and they preached with boldness. And they began to have the virtues of the Holy Spirit that don't come naturally. And so, wouldn't you rather be filled with the Spirit? Amen? Wouldn't you rather be under, the, under His control than under some negative influence such as wine or drugs or some other life-altering, controlling substance? All right, so we're commanded, be filled. It's a passive command, which simply means allow yourself to be filled. Now, it's not passive in the sense that you sit around waiting for it. That's not what it's saying. Allow yourself to be filled. It's kind of like um, if there was uh, a dog outside your door scratching and they want to get in. Anybody have a dog? Maybe uh, you close the bedroom door or you, you close some door. You want to leave them out for a minute, but they want to get in. So they're whining, they're doing their doggy thing, they're scratch, scratch, scratch. We've got a little puppy at home, and it's one of those dogs that has to be with people all the time, all right? So if he's, on the, if he's on the wrong side of the door, you know it. Scratch, 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 scratch. So all you got to do is turn the knob, and guess what he's going to do? Boom, he's in. You have to allow him to come in. You know, the Holy Spirit wants to be in control. We just have to allow him to take control. We have to make that choice to allow him to be in control. 
So here we have in verse 19 and 20 and 21, three steps to yield to the Holy Spirit. First of all, we see in verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And so here's the question. Can you sing praise to God if you, if you want to? Can you sing praise to God? Yes or no? Can you do that? <laughs> you can do that. See, sometimes the whole spiritual, spirit-filled life thing can kind of feel like pie in the sky, kind of abstract. How do I do that? How do I actually be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's a very simple thing. Can you sing praise to God? The answer is yes, we can. Well, I believe that when we are speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and we're choosing to sing and make melody in our heart to who? To the Lord. You are allowing yourself to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember Paul and Silas locked up in the jail? What happened? Well, you know, Silas was singing tenor and uh, Paul was singing baritone and God came in with the bass, amen? And just, there was, a, there was an earthquake. <laughs> there was a mighty earthquake. God heard their little, two, uh, little uh, uh, duet. God heard their jail duet and the Lord joined in and made a trio. And wow, was that good singing, amen? Literally, God heard their praise and God sent an earthquake and set them free. Now, do you think Paul and Silas were in just so much glory and so much ease and so much personal happiness that they couldn't help but sing. Yes or no? No, the Bible says they had been beaten and they were in shackles. That's pain. That is misery. That is, as we saw this morning, they probably weren't in the mood to sing. They were not in the mood to rejoice. But the two of them with their backs bleeding and their hands and their feet shackled and a Roman guard nearby perhaps or they're down there in this jail cell and it's murky and it's dark and, and it's cold and they haven't eaten recently. They looked at each other and said, well, what can we do? And one of them probably said, well, we can sing. All right, let's do it. And they did it. They didn't wait for a wind. They didn't wait for some sort of heavenly chimes. They didn't wait for the feeling. They said, you know what we can do right now? Well, we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything. Guess what we can do? We can, we can praise. Yeah, we can do that. Let's do it. And as they lifted up their voice and they sang and they praised God with all their heart, God looked down and he added his amen, didn't he? Do you think they were filled with the Spirit? when they were singing praise in a jail cell? Well, the Bible doesn't say so, but I'm going to guess so. You think I'm right? <laughs> I think they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they chose to do this simple thing. And so once again, how can you be filled with the Spirit? Well, can you sing? Well, I can't hold a tune in a bucket. That's all right. We've got that covered. The Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen? You can make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Maybe you had a rough day at work and you got a long drive home. Anybody have a long drive home? Anybody? Okay, a few of you. You know what that's like. Hard day and now you've got to face traffic. You know what you can do? Well, you could listen to the news and get depressed. Or you could sing praise to God. So I don't feel like it. That's not the point. <laughs> 
See, the beauty of the Spirit-filled life is you allow Him to take control, and He takes control. But you've got to reach out and turn that knob and open the door. And one of the ways that you turn that knob and open the door is lift up your face, lift up your voice, sing praise to God, and see what He will do. So, well, I'll try it, but I don't know if it'll work. Well, try it anyway. It'll work. Oh, how fast? Well, don't worry about that. Just persevere. Just lift up your voice in song. Aren't you glad we have a church like this that sings godly, Christ-honoring music? It's a shame that so much of the church world has been duped into music of the flesh. It came right out of the world. It's been changed and modified and added with spiritual lyrics, supposedly. But it's the, it's the sound and throb of the world. I'm not talking about that kind of music. I'm talking about music that's pure and simple and godly and Christ-focused and, and free of that filth. Just a song of praise, the old hymns, the old rugged cross. You take your pick. There's a lot of good ones. Amen? And I'm not against new songs. I'm saying it needs to be a new song, as the Bible says, a song of rejoicing, hymns and ma- making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's such a thing as soul-stirring truth put to music. You can do that. You can do that. Now more than ever, we have so many advantages with our technology. We can have a whole playlist of godly music, and there's nothing wrong with listening to it. I'm a big fan of listening. In your home, in your car, make sure you're listening to godly music. I didn't mean to preach on music tonight, but I'm just saying... Um, do you think that Hollywood invests in their budget? Do they invest in the soundtrack? Absolutely. You wouldn't have these big blockbusters like Star Wars and others without their soundtrack. They believe in mood music. And I really do believe that music has the power to set the mood. And no, being spiritual is not a mood, it's a choice But I do believe you can set the tone for the Spirit-filled life just by singing, listening to the right kind of music, rejoicing in the Lord, stirring your heart. Remember David and Saul, and, and Saul was in a bad mood, and he literally was being oppressed by evil spirits, and just the sound of David's harp drove that away. Music has power. But even better than listening to it is when you open your mouth and you sing. You do it. You put your words and you lift it up. You can sing so you can be filled with the Spirit. Isn't that simple? (laughs) It's as simple as you can get. How about this? Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's another simple question. Can you say thank you? Yes or no? Do we teach our kids that? Boys and girls, can you Say thank you. Can you say that? Should you say that? (laughs) Yes, you should. Is it possible to say it even if you don't feel it? Should you do it? I don't know. I'd be a hypocrite. No, you should do it. Saying thank you is one of those things you don't wait for the feeling. You just do it because it's right. You wait for the feelings to come later. That's fine. But you can say thank you. And one of the ways you can reach out and turn the knob and open the door and let the Holy Spirit take control, first of all, you can sing praise. Second of all, you can, you can say thank you. You can practice gratitude. You can. Remember the children of Israel? 
murmuring, complaining, wandering, murmuring, complaining. Uh, there's no water. Then God gives them water. They all jump in and just about drown. Uh, there's no meat. So God finally gives them meat. They stuff themselves till it's coming out their nose. They were always complaining. Finally, God had to send those fiery serpents in among them. And of course, they got bit. And then God had an opportunity to foreshadow the cross. As, uh, as Jesus referenced in John chapter 3, and, and the brazen serpent was lifted up. But why did God have to send those fiery serpents? Because of their stinking, rotten attitude. That's why. And yet, if they had chosen in those hard moments to say, you know what, I'm going to thank God. I'm going to thank Him for my life, that He saved us from, e- from Egypt. I'm going to thank Him for my family, that we're all together. I'm going to thank Him that we have that that fire uh, uh, by night and the cloud by day. I'm going to thank him for the manna that we get every single day. And you know what? That's the spirit-filled life. It's It's not complicated. It's simple. You can sing. And you can say thank you. Let me ask you, are you the type that says thank you? I'm always amazed over time, folks that I've known that were good people, nice people, but Never said thank you. Ever met somebody like that? You do them a favor and they smile and they take it and they walk away. And you're kind of thinking, okay. (laughs) I guess that's all there is to it. It doesn't even occur to them to say those simple words, oh, thank you. Or even more, thank you so much. Wow, I I can't believe that. Thank you so much. You know what thank you says? Thank you is an admission that you're not worthy. Think about that. If you never say thank you, what that reveals is you're kind of expectant. You maybe think you are worthy. Maybe there's more pride in there than we realize. It doesn't God say that God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the humble? Didn't we already say that the, the most basic aspect of the spirit-filled life is meekness? That flows out of humility, folks. And so if you're not able to say thank you, or if you won't say thank you, what it really reveals is stinking, rotten pride. That somehow we've forgotten that we are beggars. You know what I deserve? I deserve a very hot place in hell. And the longer I've been saved, and the more I know from the Bible, and the more often I still sin. Anybody have been saved for a while, but you still sin? Anybody? You know what I realized? I am worthy of a hotter place in hell than somebody who's never read the Bible. It's true. I'm not worthy of the least of God's blessings. I'm not worthy to stand here and preach to you. I'm not worthy to open a Bible and hold it with these hands of mine. Thank God for the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ. But you know what? If you don't practice gratitude, there's pride problems. There's a self-focus that's so aware of your needs, we just gobble and consume and gobble and consume and gobble and consume, and we don't even look to see who gave it. And folks, one of the simplest ways you can let the Holy Spirit flood in is look up, say thank you. Look around and say thank you. Take inventory of your blessings. Well, I don't got many. Well, you probably have a couple because you're alive right now. Amen? Take inventory. Say thank you. Practice gratitude. And you will be opening the door and letting the Holy Spirit take control. 
Can you sing? Yes or no? Can you say thank you? You can be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, number three. This is the hard one. Save the hardest for last. (laughs) First two are easy. This is the hard one. Verse 21. Say it out loud with me, would you? Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Interesting, that's the final step. You know, being yielded to the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, means we're yielding to His control. Well, that's, we can get that. After all, He's God, right? Doesn't He have the right to be in control? Yes or no? Didn't He die for you? So doesn't the Holy Spirit have the right to be yielded to? I mean, none of us really like to yield. You know, we're in traffic, and you get to those traffic circles. Ever been in those things? And everybody's supposed to yield for everybody else, and it's kind of like, do I yield or do you yield? I'm just going. Vroom. <laughs> and you hope that you make it. Or what's worse, those four-way stops, and nobody knows who's supposed to go next. Everybody's trying to yield for everybody else. It's frustrating. And finally, somebody just guns it. All right, it's my turn. Hope for the best. Well, you know, we don't like to yield, but when we hear yield to God, it makes sense. We get it. He's God. By the way, if you have a hard time yielding to God, in theory or in, or in your mind, you have a big problem. It's called the fear of God. You don't have a fear of God. The basic virtue of the fear of the Lord is saying, God is God and I am not. God is big and I am very small. That's the fear of the Lord. That gets you on the, the road to wisdom. But see, when the Holy Spirit takes control, he says, all right, I want you to yield to me by yielding to this lowly dumbbell over here. (laughs) Come on now. Sorry sorry to say that. But you have people in your life you just rather not yield to? Come on. I mean, after all, you're smarter. After all, you're older. Come on, brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters definitely know who's older. They never, do you ever get confused about that? I got, I, got, I got five kids. I don't think they've ever gotten confused as to who's older. They know who's older. I don't got to yield to you. I'm older. You're younger. You got to yield to me. Husbands, I don't got to yield to you. After all, I'm the man of the house. I got a Bible verse for that one. Yeah, well, before we get to uh, wives, submit to your husbands. It's in the same passage. We did read, verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another. Oh, no. That means husbands have to submit to their wives, too. (gasps) Did I just say that? Now, obviously, there's an order, there's a role, and, and wives submit and husbands love. But in practice, there's a lot of mutual submission and humbling going on in a relationship. And you're not yielding to the Holy Spirit when you refuse to yield to your brother in Christ, your wife, your husband, your boss, your brother. Ooh, here's where, even worse, your sister. Oh, come on now. Right? Come on, boys. Does God really want you to yield to your sister? Oh, really? Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You see, the Lord makes it practical. 
And we find in, in the book of, in, 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 the God, um, in the first epistle of John that how can you say you love God who, you ha- who you've not seen when you refuse to love your brother who you do see? The Lord has chosen to make it this way. You are not yielded to the Holy Spirit if you're resisting to humble yourself in your relationships. And so that's the third point is submit to one another. And as you are saying yes and yielding your heart to those in your life, guess who steps in? The Holy Spirit. He was already there. He was knocking at the door. You just had to jiggle the doorknob and let him in. And one of those ways is you can lift up your voice and sing and you can praise God in the hard time and the Holy Spirit takes control. You can look around you and take inventory and say, thank you, Lord, and and thank you, Lord, and, and thank you, Lord. And you can practice gratitude and let the Holy Spirit take control. But when the rubber really meets the road and husbands get home from work and you're just ready to be served and you walk in the door and you're, you realize, you know what, there's a, there's a need here. Maybe my wife needs some help. And you choose to submit yourself to your wife. And like Jesus, you gird yourself with that servant's towel and you wash feet or maybe you wash the dishes or you take care of some things around the house and you are submitting yourself to one another. And as you humble yourself in service and in submission, guess who's taking control? The Holy Spirit. And whether anybody notices or not, and I think they probably will, there goes a spiritual man. That's a spiritual woman. Somebody like Jesus. There's that spirit of meekness. There's joy on the face. There's joy in the heart. Not based on the mood, but based on faith. There's joy, there's gratitude, and there's a servant's heart of submission. Heard this said one time. All of us want to be servants until somebody actually treats us like one. Nobody likes that. I want to serve the Lord. I want to serve my wife. I want to serve my family. Oh, really? Just wait. <laughs> wait till somebody actually treats you like a servant. Oh, boy, then our pride bristles. and we. What is that? That's called the flesh. But the problem is sometimes we, 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 we just stay in the flesh and then justify ourselves and maybe even arm ourselves with a couple of Bible verses. Well, actually, I was in the right. Yeah, but your spirit was wrong. Yeah, but I was on the right side of the issue and I fought. Praise God that you fought for the right. But the flesh profits nothing. The flesh profits nothing. Many an angry man trying to raise godly kids. It's not going to work. Well, I'm only angry because, because I'm standing for what the Bible says and nobody listens to me around here. <laughs> okay, maybe that's true, but I guess what? The Bible says the, the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. One of the most convicting verses in my life. The wrath of man doesn't accomplish God's righteousness in people's lives. Many an angry wife. Frustrated because they have no relationship with their son, their daughter. 
The spirit is wrong. There's anger. There's frustration. And yet, they're standing for the right things. They're holding the standard high. They're trying to keep the sin out. Praise God for all those things. But without the sweetness of the spirit-filled life, it's the flesh. And it's all going to crumble down. Here's the question. Not so much could you identify the spirit in someone else, but looking into your life, how often... How frequently, how recently have you shown the spirit-filled life to your family, to your kids, to your friends? And are you willing to take these simple steps to turn the doorknob and let the Holy Spirit rush in? He's already with you. He just wants to take control. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. Lord, I pray that we would not be content with imitation Christianity that we would desire the real genuine walk with God that you planned for us Lord it's okay it's right to stand for truth and to stand for the right doctrines but Lord without the sweetness of your spirit it's all the flesh we're going to tear down the very things we're trying to lift up Now, Lord, I pray that in these moments you'd help us to yield to you. And then when we get up from here, teach us to praise you. Teach us to thank you. Teach us to yield ourselves one to another and learn the joy of the Spirit-filled life. We ask this in Jesus' name. With heads bowed, eyes closed, a couple of questions here tonight. First of all, maybe you'd say, Brother Barber, I realize that there's been a lack, of, a lack of discernment. I haven't really been thinking about whether what I'm doing is spiritual or not, and I realize I need to start being a discerning. I want to be aware. I, I don't want to go forward blindly. I want to be aware of whether or not I'm walking in the Spirit. I want to be aware of that. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand? I just want, the, I want to have that perception. Amen. Many hands. I want to be sensitive to that. Amen. Second question here. You'd say, Brother Barbara, God showed me there's something in my life, and I know it's the flesh. I know it's not godly. God spoke to me. There's a specific need, and I realize the answer is the Spirit-filled life. Pray for me. Anybody like that tonight? Raise your hand. Many more. Amen. Father, you saw these hands. Now, Lord, help us to give these things to you. May you win the victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor. Pastor.